Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. As the great hymn proclaims, Thy strong word bespeaks us righteous, bright with Thine own holiness. We gather this next hour around the gift of the Holy Scriptures and the Word, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. And by His cross, you are declared righteous on account of Him and Him alone. Thank you for tuning in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Today, we'll be studying the short but powerful epistle Philemon with Reverend Dr. Phil Boo from St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Pastor Boo, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Well, thank you very much. I'm pleased to be here. Wonderful. A special thanks to Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. LHF distributes Bible-based, Christ-centered catechisms and children's books around the world to point people to Christ in their first language. To learn more, visit lhfmissions.org. For more information, lhfmissions.org. First off, Pastor Boo, as, I, as we gather together for Thy Strong Word, and we're learning a lot about each other and, and and seeing all the joys of ministry around the country and the world, I, I was going to ask if you could share a few things about yourself and the ministry at St. John's Lutheran in Laverne, Minnesota. Well, certainly, sure. Um, well, I uh, am originally from North Carolina, and so serving here in Minnesota is certainly a little bit of a weather shock. Uh, we have plenty of snow here. <laughs> it's nice and rainy back in North Carolina. Um, but uh, went to seminary at uh, Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. Um, you mentioned that um, I have a doctorate. It's in congregational care and counseling, um, and that is from Bethel University in St. Paul. And uh, I did my research emphasis on catechesis, so uh, how, how we could equip parents and pastors to um, catechize people children in the Christian faith and why catechesis needs to be a lifelong effort. And uh, so I'm actually fairly new here at St. John. Um, it's a wonderful congregation right here, just about 30 minutes east of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And um, I've been here, well, just since November. Uh, prior to serving here, I served in um, Connecticut, um, uh, in a place called Hebron, Connecticut, and my very first call was actually back here in Minnesota, in Purim, where I believe I met you for the first time. So uh, it, uh, it's, uh, it's ha I'm great and greatly pleased to be back in Minnesota. Just wonderful people, wonderful saints of the Lord. Um, lots of great ministry effort going on here in the um, Pipestone Circuit. Just, just wonderful place to be doing ministry. That is great. You're right. We did meet each other, but that was northern Minnesota where, you know, there's more snow and you're kind of in the tropical end of Minnesota. <laughs> How would you yeah. would you say that's true? Yeah, at, uh, today as we're uh, recording this, it's about 40 degrees outside, so it seems nice and balmy and I I I'll take it any day. Absolutely. Get the shorts on and and enjoy your time. <laughs> so today we are studying um, Philemon and th this is a, a short uh, epistle from Paul to the man Philemon. And what's interesting about it to me is I would definitely call it a very powerful epistle. And also there's a lot of riches to dig out, which I'm excited to be able to do today, especially when you look at different books that have been written about it. Like, for example, our own uh, publishing house, Concordia Publishing House, came out with a 
Concordia Commentary on Philemon by Dr. John Nordling, who is now at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne. And it is over 270 pages long. So he, he really dug deep. So the opportunity to look at this for a long time is definitely there. So I was wanting you to start um, this morning as we dig deep into this and look at the powerful riches that our Lord gives. Could you start us out in prayer? Sure, absolutely. Let's pray. Dearest, most holy and heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for all the blessings that you continue to bestow upon us. We give you thanks for this opportunity to gather around your word, especially Philemon, a, a text about reconciliation in a world that is so desperate for reconciliation, not, of course, just between us and the Father, but also between one another. There's so much division, O oh Lord, and so may we glean from this text with the help of your Holy Spirit a message to take home, to put into practice in our lives, to be reconciled unto one another. And uh, thank you so much for, for Pastor Finnern and his ministry through this radio program. And uh, all these things we pray in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. So as we look at Philemon, uh, can you give us some background and, and general overview of this epistle? Well, sure, absolutely. First of all, you know, Philemon is a letter about reconciliation, as I referenced in the prayer. Uh, it's such, it wasn't too long ago that we celebrated New Year's. And so what an opportunity to be reconciled to that brother or sister in Christ. Maybe you've wronged them or they've wronged you, or maybe you've just drifted apart and you're looking for that extra nudge from the Holy Spirit that says, now's the time to be reconciled. And that's what we see going on in this letter. This letter is about a pastor, a bishop, a mature Christian reaching out to his friend saying that he wants him to be reconciled to another Christian. And he's trying to facilitate or um, you know, be that in-between so that they would be reconciled. In this letter we discover three main characters. And so the one writing the letter, of course, is St. Paul. And St. Paul is writing this letter from Rome, and he's actually under house arrest. Um, and being in house arrest in Rome, um, it's kind of like being in a house arrest today. Uh, hopefully none of our listeners know what that's exactly like, but you get the idea. You can't really go anywhere, but People can come to you and sort of other things. And so one of the people that he's encountered un while under house arrest is Onesimus. And Onesimus is a runaway slave. And he has come to faith while in the company of St. Paul. And um, But he's run away from a Christian whom St. Paul knows, and that's Philemon. So Philemon is the recipient of this letter, the, probably the primary recipient of this letter. There's, uh, as, as we read into it, we'll see that it looks like other people would have probably heard or at least been involved in um, receiving this letter more than Philemon. But Philemon's the primary person that Paul wants Onesimus to reconcile with. And of course, Philemon to reconcile with Onesimus. And so what's interesting about Onesimus is that he's a runaway slave. His name actually means useful. And what we find is that he wasn't very useful to Philemon. 
Um, in fact, he may have even stolen something. Um, we don't know exactly the grievance. We just know that there's been some some something done against Philemon, perhaps even against the church that meets in Philemon's house, and Onesimus has run away. And when he was a slave to Philemon, it, it seems that he was not a Christian. Well, since encountering Paul, he's become a Christian, and now Paul is saying, as we'll read, this Onesimus who uh, was previously unuseful to you is now useful, and he wants them to reconcile. So that's the goal. That's the goal here, that, that to send back Onesimus to Philemon so that Philemon would welcome him back, maybe no longer as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. And um, also, he has a second goal, too. It's just sort of a side goal, has not much to do with this particular letter, but he'll be sending back with Onesimus not only this letter appealing to Philemon to receive him back as a brother, but he's actually also going to be sending him the letter to the Colossians because the church at Colossa is associated with Philemon. So that's, that's sort of the background of what we're going to talk about. Very good. So you would sum this short letter up in a word reconciliation is that what you're saying absolutely i mean this is a this is a, a classic reconciliation and mediation you know there's something for everybody to learn from here for the person who's been offended this letter is about how to receive back in grace and kindness those who have wronged you for the person who has done something wrong then there's something in this letter about going back and making amends and, and facing that person you've wronged. And there's also something in here for those who seek to be the reconcilers, the, the St. Paul's, uh, whether you're a pastor looking for guidance on how to mediate between a difficult situation or whether you're, you're a, a, a lay person who's, who's trying to navigate difficult family situations. There's something in this letter for everybody. Sounds great. That is something that I want to dig into a little bit more. And so uh, there is one small part here that um, you wrote in your notes about kind of the elephant in the room and want to address that now before we get into the text. You want to speak to yeah, that? Yeah, I think so too. I mean, let's, let's face it. We're talking about a runaway slave. And when we're talking about slavery, there's all these negative connotations, and rightly so, um, surrounding slavery. And uh, I did tell you that I didn't want to talk too much about slavery itself, because I think it's a bit of a red herring. I think that we get bogged down in trying to uh, understand and explain exactly what it means to be a, a slave in ancient times and how that's different from, say, the African slave trade of modern slavery. And so I think that we could easily be distracted from the principal message of reconciliation in this letter. Um, with that said, it is worth knowing the differences, and I think in another venue, people should definitely learn about how um, slaves or bond servants in ancient times were dramatically different than what we think of when we think of modern slavery. Uh, not necessarily any better or honorable, it's certainly still sinful, um, but slaves during Roman times were varied in their abilities and education. Um, in fact, there were even physicians and teachers who were slaves. Um, slaves, some of them, could own property. A lot of them were trusted with important financial and other important matters for their, their masters. And uh, they had relative amounts of freedom. Uh, so 
oftentimes when we see the Bible giving advice to slaves, God is interacting with them in the world in which they live, not necessarily the world in which God wants them to live. And that happens with us too. There's the ideal world in which this is how God has designed it and how everything would just be beautiful if we'd all live this way. And then there's the world as it is. And so God is dealing in this situation with, with uh, Onesimus and Philemon through Paul in the world that they live. He, it's not a treatise on God's opinion about slavery, good or bad. Um, so I, this isn't to diminish the sin of slavery, but I just don't think it's fair just to say slavery is slavery and leave it at that. Um, it's, in fact, quite complex, quite complex. And by the way, slavery wasn't race-based either, as we think of in modern slavery, unfortunately. It was, it was people of all ethnicities found themselves as slaves in the ancient world. So there's just so many different complex differences. In, in this particular case— it's, it's safe to say, though, that Onesimus was not one of these ones who was well-respected and had high education and had a lot of freedom. It seems that he would have been much more in servitude to Philemon, and he fled that servitude after, after uh, doing some sort of possibly theft against him. Um, so I think that's the background here, and, and I think otherwise we'd be here all day talking about the differences. Yeah, as you look at that, I, I did look around a little bit, and one of the things that I would encourage our listeners to read is in our own Lutheran Study Bible on page 101. It talks about Christianity and slavery, speaking about how we view it and to look at Roman slavery and to clearly look through the lens of the gospel. And like you said, our focus today is on reconciliation, which is highlighted in other parts of the epistles, which I'll get to a little bit later. But right now, let's just get into the book. Um, uh, Philemon, only one chapter, so we'll start with the first three verses. I'll read those, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Reminder to our listeners that we are in the English Standard Version from Philemon. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Pastor Boo, as we look at that greeting, um, we look at a few people that are included. You have Timothy, you have, you have Apphia, you got Archippus. Uh, any, any thoughts on those individuals? Well, these Philemon's actually not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. Um, so he's a, for having an entire epistle named after him, we don't know a whole lot about him. What we do know um, comes from the context of this letter and also his association with these folks, especially um, Apphia and Archippus. We do know that they are connected to the Colossian church. And so when it says the church in your house, based on these other folks, we can uh, we can presume that the, uh, the church that meets in Colossae also will be meeting, if not all the time, occasionally in Philemon's house. So this also tells us that Philemon is going to be somebody of great wealth and, and character. Um, certainly the fact that he has bond servants also speaks to that. Um, so we, uh, we see here that 
that Philemon then would be associated with the Colossian church, which also makes sense later when we read in Colossians that Onesimus is carrying that letter to the Colossians with him. And that's one thing that, you know, when you read this letter, that we look at that he's speaking to a Christian. Like Philemon is not a, a, like a mean slave owner that does not believe in Christ or has no desire for reconciliation or doesn't understand the body of Christ, that he's writing to a fellow brother in Christ. And that's what is always interesting in those greetings that Paul gives is how he describes um, the other people, but also himself. We look at here in verse one, it says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Um, I think you indicate that's the only time he does this. Um, Right. Yeah. So tell me what you think that means. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's normally describing himself as an apostle of Christ. Wouldn't this be a great opportunity, we would think, for him to describe himself as a slave of Christ, um, since he's talking about matters involving a runaway bondservant? Um, But no, here and only here, he calls himself a prisoner for Christ. So why is that? Well, uh, there's lots of different thoughts behind it, but the one that I tend to lean towards is the fact that he was literally a prisoner and he was literally a prisoner for Jesus Christ not he was a prisoner of the Romans but he was a prisoner um, because of his faith in Jesus Christ and so him starting it off Paul a prisoner for Jesus Christ for him this is a this is a title as worthy as being called apostle or as being called a servant or slave of Christ because he's seeing what he is enduring, as a part of God's work through him. And of course, um, he's including Timothy in those greetings. And uh, you're absolutely right, and he's sending it to Philemon. And I just also want to note, though, that why is it that this letter is addressed to people other than just Philemon? If he's if he's writing to this Christian Philemon, and he's wanting to resolve the situation between the two of them so that he might gain his brother— then why include these other people? So I think this also indicates that perhaps whatever happened involves more than just Philemon. Philemon's principal because he's the master of Onesimus, but these other folks in the church, they're obviously involved too, and it makes you wonder, uh, and, and it's not clarified, but it makes you wonder um, how else the other members of the church are involved in this matter. Oh, absolutely. And that's one of the the key things as we just go through a real simple, um, brief uh, analysis of this, Paul is writing this in prison. He's pointing at himself as a prisoner, writing to Philemon, who is a Christian man, and he's really um, proclaiming that truth here at the very beginning, but also in the next few verses. And then he ends with verse 3, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Laying the groundwork right away that this is going to be all about God. And in any reconciliation as Christians, we put ourselves under our Lord and look to his word and how we are to reconcile with one another as our Lord has reconciled us to himself. So there's a lot here in first three verses, but let's move on to the next uh, four verses, verses four through seven. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus Christ and for all the saints. And I pray that sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort 
from your love, my brother, because of the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. There's a lot of things to unpack. Where do you, what direction do you want to go there, Pastor? Well, first of all, this part of the letter is, is a section of thanksgiving, and it was a common feature in the letters of the era. Paul is writing in a format that's very common, and so he begins with his introduction, who he is and who it's to, um, and then he gives greetings, and now he is giving um, his thanksgiving. And whereas um, a pagan of the era might thank their various gods, Paul, of course, thanks the one true God, and he sets the stage through this section of thanksgiving to say that what I'm what what I'm what I'm about to ask you is uh, is something that. I know that you are going to grant to me because you're someone for whom I regularly pray. I hear of your love. I hear of your faith. Um, I, I, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing. So he's, he's really kind of laying it on thick. Now, I don't want to suggest that he's being insincere. He's not being insincere, but he really is. He's layering on thick. Um, he's genuinely thanking God for Philemon and the church. He genuinely wants the saints to prosper in Christ, but he's also really wanting to set the tone for the for the for the request for the appeal that he's about to make on behalf of Onesimus. And um, clearly, Philemon and Paul have some previous connection. We learn that later, but we also learn that right here. I mean, verse 7, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because of the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. I mean, what did Philemon do to endear himself so much to Paul? You know, is he just buttering him up and being insincere? No, that would be contrary to Paul's character and contrary to the Holy Spirit. So, so something must have happened. But then at the same time, he doesn't elaborate. He doesn't tell us all the things that he's derived much joy from. Um, he, he Maybe he doesn't do this because he doesn't want to embarrass Philemon. Or maybe Philemon's generosity and kindness are just so well known that people are going to, people are going to understand that. I mean, think about this. There are other people that are attached to this letter. Other people will read it. As you said before, Philemon's a Christian. He's not this cruel taskmaster. So if if Paul is is just blowing smoke at him, he's <laughs> he's other people are going to call that out. So when we see this, we know that it's this just just tells us a lot about the character of Philemon and the character of Paul too. And you know, I think part of it comes down to identity. This is a big piece for us in our culture today is when we start with shaky ground about who we are in Christ, it is a real struggle to try to direct people or ourselves for that fact um, on where we need to be and how we are to live. And here, like you said, is he buttering them up? I don't think we would say quite that, but definitely he is reestablishing the identity of who Philemon is in Christ the gifts and the fruit that God has been working through him, and at the same time showing uh, the highlight of not only did this affect the people who Philemon serves, but also Paul himself, 
which shows an identity of their friendship, um, their brotherhood. I mean, he speaks that way, right? That that he sees them as basically a brother in Christ as he goes through this. And so that's an important piece that I think, um, as we look at this, that it really is establishing these first seven verses, the identity of who we are, especially when he talks about have been refreshed, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Right. We see this in the church and the body of Christ all over the place that we are able to, with joy, know the ministry that is happening in other places. Um, with just uh, about a minute or two left here, uh, Pastor, sure. any other thoughts on those first seven verses? Oh, absolutely. Well, particularly that term you just used, the hearts of the saints, right? I mean, he uses that term here, and then later he refers to Onesimus as my very heart. And then at the end of the letter, he writes at the end of this whole appeal, refresh my heart. So Paul is seeking the reconciliation between Philemon and Onesimus. And so he's making that connection, as you said, about an identity between the saints, his own self, and Onesimus by using this heart language. Just like, as you said, he refers to Philemon as his brother. He called Timothy his brother. And then later on, he calls Onesimus brother. Everyone is being interconnected through Christ. And so, yeah, it's not a buttering up. It's an appeal to who you are, but also who these other people are. So whenever we find ourselves in situations where reconciliation needs to take place, it's really easy to look at someone, especially someone who's offended us, and say, oh, th this person is this and that and, and all these negative characteristics. But what we need to do is put ourselves under the authority of the scriptures, put ourselves under the authority of, of St. Paul here and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. We are all interconnected through Christ. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We are saints together. And when we look at someone else as someone for whom Christ died, and if we're praying for someone else, it's really hard to continue to hold a struggle, uh, hold a grudge against them. Well, I think all we can say to that, Pastor, is amen. And as we move forward, that is a great foundation for us to realize that we are connected to Christ as one body. First Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4 reminds us of this. And we'll move on from there to look at how the richness of reconciliation happens for them and for us today. Well, we're going to have to take our break right now. We are studying Paul's letter to Philemon with Pastor Phil Boo, and we'll be right back. On America's college campuses, doors are open to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The number of international students studying at American schools has more than quadrupled over the past decade. For many of these young men and women, it's their first time living in a free society where they can ask questions about Christianity. You can help answer their questions. Go to lhfmissions.org and partner with the Lutheran Heritage Foundation to translate good Lutheran books into languages these students can read and understand. lhfmissions.org
Welcome back. We are studying the short but rich book of Philemon. Dare I even say the richness of reconciliation would be a focus that we have for the rest of the verses today. Because let's be honest, if we're going to talk about reconciliation, the process is not something we look forward to, but Paul gives us a way to look at our identity in Christ and how that extends out not only to individuals, but to the whole body of Christ. We see this, as I mentioned prior to 1 Corinthians 12, where it says the body does not consist of one member, but of many. We hear this in Ephesians 4, which reminds us that when we are together, we are indeed sinners and there will be a need for reconciliation, but also there is a way that we have in Christ. As Pastor Boo, you said so well, right before we were done, is that each person that we encounter in the church and in our lives is one that Christ has redeemed on his cross. So we now turn um, to verses 8, and I think we'll go through uh, verses 11, no, excuse me, 12, that we'll go through this and we'll talk about Paul's desire for reconciliation and how he approaches it. So let us continue. Accordingly, Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Now, he starts right away with the word bold, and I think this is a very bold thing he is doing. Um, and he, there's a lot of themes that come through here. So, Pastor, take it away. What do you want to go with this? Well, I love 8 and the first half of 9. I think it needs to be printed on the back of every pastor's study door. Although I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. You know, he's starting to make the case to Philemon, but he's he's pointing out that he has the spiritual authority just to command Philemon to obey. I mean, we're dealing with some pretty black and white sinful stuff here. Um, yet, in Pauline fashion, and perhaps in the fashion that all pastors should employ um, if they're able, he bypasses what is his right and instead appeals to Christian love. Uh, now, there are certainly situations where boldness is the only thing language that would be uh, well received but in this case he he just so beautifully and delicately opens up this channel of friendship to say I'm getting ready to make an appeal to you right and it is very bold because there's a lot of things that go into this I want to take it one step back and tell a little story is I had a member in my congregation here who, we were going through Philemon in Bible study, and she talked about a, a reconciliation need among the families when there was an inheritance that needed to be done. And she they're trying to figure that out. And one of the books that that she presented to the family was Philemon. And I remember she said this. She said that I gave that to them and I said, if I could be so bold <laughs> as to present this to you as a form of how we can reconcile this. And I don't, she didn't really expand on how this would, you know, work, but it is something 
-hmm. for us to always consider is that there's a boldness in this, but the boldness is not ours. It's Christ's boldness who has reconciled us to himself. We hear this all the time. And now Paul is setting it up so that, um, okay, we're together. We're brothers in Christ. Now, let me tell you about Onesimus. I always think about this. Maybe you can have a thought on this. Is when he wrote those words or when he this letter was brought to him and he's kind of, what is Onesimus doing here? And then he reads it and goes, oh, here we are. You know, what kind of thoughts are going through Philemon's head at that point? Any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, think about it. Yeah, I mean, it's not like he got this. Philemon didn't get this letter in advance. Um, Philemon just shows back up. And I imagine that Philemon is is furious and he's angry and he's probably wanting to exact some sort of punishment. I mean, I know we talk about him being kind and everything else, but still, I mean, he's upset. Um, and so he gets this letter and he reads through it and he gets through the the uh, the beginning uh, uh, pleasantry, so to speak. And then he reads, I'm bold enough to command you to do this, but I'm going to appeal to your faith in Christ, your love for Christ, your kind character. And so he says, he says, I, a Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. See, that would be the fate awaiting Onesimus. If Philemon had his way, Onesimus would become a prisoner. Now, in a way, he's already a prisoner as a bondservant to Philemon, but he could very well become a prisoner of the system because of the crime that he uh, uh, committed against perhaps the church or perhaps Philemon. And so he's putting into his mind this idea that I, your good friend, am just an old man sitting in prison for Jesus. And he starts to get that idea in his head that this is what you want to exact on Onesimus. And Onesimus, Onesimus has changed. You know, formerly the useful one was useless to you, but now the useful one is indeed useful to you. <laughs> that we don't get it in the English, the play on words with Onesimus's name, but it's just this, it's just wonderful appeal that, that, you know, you guys have the same master now. You have the same master. Now you're both slaves of Jesus Christ. And so um, we see here that Paul wants to send him back. He wants to do the right thing. He's not harboring a fugitive. He's saying, no, no, I'm sending him back to you. And he's actually putting himself in that situation a little bit too. It's not just um, Onesimus has returned to you. It's Imagine me standing next to him, and I'm bringing him back to you. You know, that's just, I think that's just an amazing situation. Um, and he's not only sending him back, but he's sending his very heart, as I mentioned earlier. And I think Philemon, after reading this letter, would would look up, and perhaps that anger would come away from his face a little bit, and he would start to realize that he and his servant, Onesimus, have a lot more in common now. Absolutely. And when I look at this, you want to capture the humanness of this story because it's easy to read it and not think about that. But that would have been incredibly difficult to see this runaway slave, um, to even read the letter because you instantly want to do, you know, you want to put him in jail or put him away. 
and to read it, who knows how this all went down? It'd be interesting mm. to ever find out. Um, but you don't see that. But for him to say, I'm sending my very heart means I'm not just sending you a, a just a random person. This is me. We are together in this, which is a very strong language. Hearts of the saints, my own heart. But also he uses the word in verse 11, and we put it in parentheses, firmly he was useless to you, and now he's indeed useful to you and me. There's kind of a uniqueness to this useful word, connection to other things. Any thoughts on that? Well, just just that we see here that whatever he's done before, he's now forgiven in Christ. So the uselessness, whatever that was, has clearly changed. He's now a changed person. He's ready to face Philemon and make amends. Um, we find out um, before, but also in the next verse, that he's been helping out Paul, and Paul would just soon keep him. Paul, would just, that's how that's how useful he is. That he'd just soon keep him, but he knows that he can't be on the run forever. He needs to make amends, and and that's why what Paul is facilitating here. So let's move on in verse thirteen, and we'll go all the way through sixteen. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but preferred to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might be might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For the, this, perhaps, is why he parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So as you mentioned, there is a there's definitely a desire to keep him. And I think it seems like they'd be very acceptable that he would say, hey, I'm going to keep Onesimus here. He's going to be my servant. I'm going to prepare you, but he'll come someday, you know, something along those lines. But here he's like, no, this has to happen now. We need to get, we need to be reconciled. We need to move forward. Uh, let's get this thing going. And and then he once again establishes identity and looks at all of that. So there's he puts a good spin in this whole thing uh, mm -hmm. because there's been bad stuff, but there's good that God can work through this. So he makes an appeal. So thoughts as we look at those verses. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, he note that he says, "I prefer to do nothing without your consent." Um, legally, <laughs> legally, Anisimus is still a bondservant of Philemon. So. Paul is is honoring the what we might consider and probably do consider an unjust law. And here he is honoring that by saying, I'm not going to harbor this fugitive. I'm sending him back. But when I send him back, as we know, he's wanting him to be not just a, not just a slave, but but taken back as a brother. But we see this also that while he's there, while he's still under that bond service to Philemon, Paul credits Onesimus with his usefulness, but he also notes that it's that it's on Philemon's behalf, as as if as if you know what, maybe Onesimus hasn't necessarily run away. Maybe he's just here serving me via you know serving me on your behalf. You you perhaps think of it as assigning him to come and serve me and look at all these good things that have come out of it. I don't know. Maybe that's taking a little too far, but I, I'd like to think that a little bit because he says, you know, he's here serving me on your, on your behalf. And I think that's an odd thing to say, except that he's trying to reframe the situation. 
Um, well, in verse 15, I think, excuse me, um, verse yeah. 15 definitely affirms this understanding that God is going to work through all things. And, you know, he kind of just throws it out there. Well, maybe this is why he parted from you, so that you'll have him back forever. And kind of, you know, who knows exactly, but we do know that God works through all things. And so here's the opportunity God has given you. And this is our lives, you know, as Christians and in the church is how can we reconcile? Because we know that yeah. God will work through it all. Um, and so I, I was well, just how, thinking about that, you know, I was thinking about, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, how many people, when they face the idea of reconciliation, perhaps they've sinned against someone um, and they go, well, I'm right with God. I've, I've figured it out. Me and God have it all worked out. You know, Onesimus coming to faith brought with it forgiveness of sins, but it doesn't erase his temporal punishment, so to speak. It doesn't erase the, the, the fact that he still committed an offense against someone, perhaps through the theft, or at the very least needs to reconcile with another Christian. So his station in life hasn't changed because he's become a, a believer. He's still a slave in this time and in this place, and his crime hasn't been washed away. He has to face the consequences. And so this is why Paul's making the appeal so that while we know that Onesimus is forgiven for Christ, that in that vertical righteousness, there's still the horizontal righteousness to be considered, and that is not only that there are there, there perhaps is some criminal things going on here that 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 Philemon can forgive or the church can forgive, but at the same time, there's relationship things here that can be mended. And so I think we're too often, it feels easy to go to the Lord and know that we're forgiven because he is gracious and loving. It's a lot harder to get that same forgiveness from each other, which is unfortunate, but true. And yet it doesn't, wash away the need that we have that when we are not reconciled to somebody that we have to somehow get back together, at least make that attempt. Um, and, and that's what, uh, Paul's wanting to set up here. And when you think about your own lives, uh, that we all have people we want to reconcile with, we all have situations that are, are there, they are deep in our hearts. They might be the reason why you don't go back to your church they might be the reason why you don't go back to your hometown, why you don't go back to high school um, reunions is because there's people you want to reconcile with, but you don't really want to be confronted with it. And so this is something here where I love how he says, verse 16, that he the the will he still be a slave? Well, probably, but let's first and foremost see him as a as a brother in Christ and and both in flesh meaning we're together as as one, but also with the Lord. And this is something that is a good sermon to give to each other when there is conflict, a good sermon when we need to reconcile to ourselves to say, that person I'm about to address or that person that I want to reconcile with is a person in Christ, redeemed in Christ. And I am also one redeemed in Christ. And that gives us the opportunity to say, we can do this together. I'm not, I'm not trying at all diminish the complexities to this, but here is just a reminder maybe of a little sermonette to give to, to ourselves and to remind people when we do get together, you know, we're together in Christ. How can we move forward? Any thoughts on that? Well, what's the worst that Philemon is going to lose here? I mean, he's going to lose perhaps a bondservant, but he's going to gain a brother in Christ. Mm -hmm. what, do we, what do we lose 
when we don't reconcile with others? And what could we lose when we do? We could lose the animosity that we've been carrying around. We could lose the hard feelings. We could lose the the nervousness that we have that we might run into somebody. Um, we might be able to lose all those things and gain back our brother or sister when we reconcile. So you're going to lose either way, it seems. It's hard work, but the loss is 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 a lot a lot worth more worth it when <laughs> the loss is a lot more um bearable when what you're losing are things that the lord doesn't want you to have and and that's and that's what's going on here you're going to lose something perhaps the lord doesn't even want you to have right a bond servant but you're going to gain a brother and i think that's part of the message for us too is we often think about the economic impact of our decisions this is going to cost philemon money if he does this, that's a real world issue. And yet, what are you gaining? Not something worldly. You're losing something worldly, but you're gaining something forever, something spiritual. Well, let's move on in verse 17, and we'll go through verse 20. So Paul says, So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write with this in my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. A small thing here is I was reading this with my children the other day, and they were very much so struck with charge it to my account. And I think at first they were kind of thinking it as a credit card because, you know, I have a teenager now and there's questions about credit cards, which is a hard no, at least in my home right now. I don't (laughs) want credit cards to be there. But we had a very good discussion about uh, charge that to my account. So Paul is not only pleading, hey, we're, we're friends, but also that if there's something you need to owe here, I put it on me, put it on me. And, and so that's a very powerful thing that, once again, at the end, refresh my heart. He uses the heart language again in Christ. So he's pointing us clearly to the gospel is that this is what Jesus has done for you. And this is what I want to do for you and for Onesimus. How can we do this all together in his name? Reflections on those verses, Pastor. Well, it speaks to our role as um, mediators and facilitators of reconciliation. You know, when we stand in that role of wanting to reconcile to other people, are we willing to follow Christ's example, to follow Paul's example and say something like that, to say, you know what, if there is, in this case, some real-world monetary issue at stake, if you guys are upset over a little bit of money, then you know what, I'm going to pay that so that you'll be reconciled. And of course, it, as you beautifully put, though, it reflects on that greater reconciliation when our debts of sin were paid by Christ on the cross. But when it comes down to to how we reconcile with others, you know, like I said earlier, there's something to be, there's something in this for everyone. So even for the reconciler, um, you might lose something worldly in order to gain something spiritually. And in this case, Paul is saying, hey, yeah, charge that to my account. Um, if I ever run into you again, you know I'm good for it. Um, so it's both temporal, perhaps money, perhaps something like that, but also spiritual. It points to Christ and his, his forgiving our debts on the cross. And it looks to 
the role of the church. And this is a very humbling thing to think about as I read this, is because when you look at 2 Corinthians 5, and it talks about the ministry of reconciliation, it is very difficult to realize that we are to be the reconcilers. This is why, like, you know, an RSO in the Missouri Synod is called Ambassadors of Reconciliation, which comes from this text, which reminds us, first of all, in 2 Corinthians, that therefore anyone who is in Christ is a new creation, that that's who we are. Old has passed, the new has come. And he's called us to be reconcilers, not to dismiss sin as if it's not there, not to dismiss conflict as if it isn't there, or to dismiss, dismiss real issues that happen in the life of the church, in our own homes, in our community. But for us to be ones to say, you know what, we are reconciled to Christ. How can we put ourselves under the word of God and, and be refreshed through this? That's why I love the, the language, the, the heart language he uses. Because usually I'm a little bit skittish when it comes to heart language. I don't really know <laughs> what that means. But it does remind us once again that God has changed our heart to realize that we are indeed sinners, but yet it's Christ who's died for me. And how can we then extend that ministry into our churches and do the hard work, put ourselves under Christ and see what he's done for us and how can we extend that to others? And Paul has just given us a wonderful way for us to think about this identity, um, how to to do this, and once again, looking back to Christ. Any last thoughts on those three verses? Well, and where are we at, 19 and 20? Yeah, we're at 20, Didn't sorry. We... we got through 20. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, let's, um, let's talk a little bit about identity, as you brought up, because we see here him saying, to say nothing of you owing me even your own self. Well, you know, first level reading of that seems like Paul's calling in a favor, right? Yeah, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. <laughs> but it's about identity. It's about identity. It's about saying, you know what, Philemon? You were once where Onesimus was, right? You once were a slave to sin, and you came to faith. And now, through Paul's witness, Onesimus has come to faith. So when he says, you owe me even your own self, it's very likely that he was instrumental in bringing Philemon to faith. And so he's making this connection once again, and he calls him, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. And as you said, this isn't extortion. This is refreshing my heart in Christ. It's a good benefit. It's something that that we are commanded by the Lord to, uh, to encourage one another. And so we see here that he's making that connection. By the way, when Paul says, I want some benefit from you in the Lord, one interesting thing that I read that I had no clue of, but uh, was that the word benefit is the same uh, is the same word from Onesimus's name. So we even have perhaps another play on words here. Uh, yes, brother, I want some usefulness from you in the Lord. And um, in of course, the Holy Spirit's certainly clever enough, and so is Paul, to be making these connections as he's writing this wonderful letter. Absolutely. And, and this is where I think about this in life, is when people have stepped up for us and said, hey, I vouch for this person, that that, for the to be the recipient of this, because Onesimus would have figured this out eventually, that, that this was what Paul was doing for him. Um, whether he opened the letter before, I doubt it, but you know, just he would have found out that this is what Paul is doing for him, that he knows he has the value to Paul, 
And Paul's words of value when it comes to Christ is a reminder of, I don't value just because of me, but I value because of Jesus. And that's what's really comes into this whole thing is that each person has value on account of Christ and his cross. And Paul is putting this wonderfully into everyday language. And hopefully for each one of us, how can we reconcile with others? How about this? We have almost five or not even four, four minutes left. And I'm just wanting to fill the, to read the rest of the verses, Pastor, and, and for you to fill in anywhere you want to go with the rest of the verses. Okay. So 21 through 25. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I'll be gracious, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so does Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So, Pastor, bring it home for us today. And what is Paul ending this? And what are the few thoughts or a few thoughts you have for us to uh, conclude? Well, confident of your obedience yet he hasn't demanded anything, right, Paul? You're just making that appeal. But he says, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you'll do even more than I say. Paul certainly believes that Philemon will respond favorably. Paul is exercising his apostolic authority by making the appeal through love, but I think Paul is not giving up his authority here. He's he's making it clear that that this request, the, the fact that this request is coming from Paul means something, um, not only in their relationship, but also in his position in the church, that he's speaking um, as one who uh, speaks the words of God. And so I think this speaks volumes about not only Paul's character, but the trust of Paul in the Holy Spirit's work, right? So the Holy Spirit is going to work in the heart of Philemon. And also, it speaks about the character of Philemon himself, who he's already been described as a, a gentle and generous guy. Uh, yeah, a generous guy. So um, we know that he is a kind person. And so Paul is pretty sure, confident even, that, that this will all take to place. But then what's interesting, though, is verse 22, he says, at the same time, right, I'm confident of your obedience. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. <laughs> For I am hoping right. that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Now, Paul concludes that he's he's hopes to visit. Now, what would happen if Paul visited and Philemon had not received Onesimus back as a brother? If Paul comes back and Onesimus is in chains, um, perhaps then Paul would have exercised his apostolic authority more fully. But probably not necessary. You know, we don't know how it turned out, but we can be hopeful and optimistic with Paul that Philemon will have done what was right. And and I think Paul's visit, of course, is not a threat, but he would have brought uh, a joyful reunion between two friends, Philemon and Paul, three friends, adding Onesimus. Um, and then, of course, Paul would have had the opportunity to repay that debt that was charged to his account, if there was any. Um, so that's how I'd like to end it. Yeah, and as we look at it, Paul is very confident and he confident in the Lord. I mean, he keeps going back to that and showing in the last verse 23 and 24 that this is not just him speaking, but this is truly the body 
of Christ. And he ends it so beautifully, pointing us back to Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. One of the things I want to conclude with here is that we look at the Christian church not only as a place of forgiveness, we receive the forgiveness that freely flows from Christ and absolution, the Lord's Supper, when we are baptized into Christ, but that flows out also from us to other people. So the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is what we need in all times and in all places. So that, I think, is the end of our time, Pastor Boo. Um, uh, thank you for being with us. And Pastor Phil Boo is the pastor at St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota, helping us with the book of Philemon today. Pastor Boo, thank you again for being our guest. And thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be on KFUO. I'm your host, Brady Finner, in the Messiah Lutheran Church. Thank you for joining us, and may the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands. Mm-hmm.